So one of the online voiceover casting sites that we highly recommend is Voice123. The quantity and the quality of auditions are some of the best. And not only is the quantity and quality good, but your Voice123 dashboard can give you such great insight that's helpful for your career. Yeah, you can actually see when clients favorite you, like your audition, and even your booking ratio, which really helps you understand your sweet spot even better and how you can best serve your clients. Voice123 is offering a 15% discount for a new yearly membership, beginning with the $395 tier. And I made my membership amount back with one booked job. And I actually just signed up. If you're interested, see the link in the show notes or description. To get 15% off your new Voice123 membership. You're listening to the Atlanta VoiceOver Studio and ProVoiceOverTraining.com podcast. Hey, I'm Mike Stout. And I'm Heidi Rue. We're both full-time voice talent and owners of Atlanta VoiceOver Studio and ProVoiceOverTraining.com. AVS is a recording and training studio in Atlanta with virtual options available to join. And ProVoiceOverTraining.com offers on-demand video resources to better your voiceover career. Our purpose in creating both of these is to give you the resources you need to create the career you want. And that's exactly why this podcast exists as well. Each month, we bring on an expert to share their industry knowledge, insight, and helpful tips. Visit AtlantaVoiceOverStudio.com and ProVoiceOverTraining.com for more great resources. Okay, I'm so happy to have Julie Wilson on the podcast today. She is the Director of Casting and Strategic Partnerships at Penguin Random House Audio. She does so much there. I mean, she's head of the growth diversification of the global talent pool. She also works with key production language music technology companies. And she's worked with like not just like national celebrities, but worldwide celebrities and best-selling authors on over 1,500 audiobooks. She recently collaborated with Adam Grant, which is one of my favorites, uh, Jordan Peele, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Alicia Keys, Brandi Carlisle, Seth Rogen, and The Tiny Chef, just to name a few. Not only that, but she also created and developed the global voiceover casting platform called Ahab Talent, which we're going to talk about in this episode. And then, not only that, but Julie also is like, I have so much to give and I want to help people. And so she created the Articulate Coach, which is a coaching program that helps you if you want to be an audiobook narrator um, and also public speaker. So Julie, I am so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so very much for being here. Thank you for having me, Heidi. It's always great hanging out with you in any forum. Same, 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 same. So I know this, I know a little bit about this story, but for everybody else that doesn't know much about you, how did you end up getting to Penguin Random House? Like, what was that journey like? I have been at Penguin Random House or what was then Random House for longer than many people even know. So I started in the industry back in 2007 as a, a lowly little intern <laughs> in college. And I started right out of the gate in the audiobook department. And the story there is that Random House offered me an internship in either contracts or audiobooks. And there was just no question that audiobooks yeah. was working on the Harry Potter audiobooks. Oh and I was like, I will do anything to touch those. <laughs> and um, but back then, too, like if you can rewind almost two decades, um, 
audiobooks weren't what they are today. They were this unsung hero of our industry. The print publishers were ignoring them. The entertainment industry was ignoring them. We weren't on the New York Times bestsellers list. Um, But if you met the audiobook people back then, similarly to the vibe we have now, we're this really wonderful, cohesive community. And that has remained true throughout this entire time I've been in this industry. So that was my first foot in the door. And I've stayed here for, I don't even know, are we going on 18 years? It's a long time. Yeah. It's a re- it's yeah. a really long time. It is yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At that time yeah. when you started, were people like um, almost afraid of audiobooks too, of thinking, oh, this is going to put book regular books out of business or what? Do you remember any of the chatter back then about that? So more so than audiobooks, because we were so ignored. Mm. Like, we so were not on <laughs> They didn't even radar. care. They were like, eh, nothing <laughs> to worry about. <laughs> that was the era, the era of ebooks mm. when people were more like ebooks oh, yeah. are going to put print books out of um, out of the market. Mm-hmm. The print books are going to be done. We're never going to see another hardcover book again. And going along with that conversation, as we always hear in publishing, publishing's over. Publishing is ne- the whole media was saying that our whole industry was over. As you know, we were in um, a recession. Mm-hmm. I was coming out of college. Oh gosh. <laughs> And so it was one of those things I'm like, I'm just going to ride this out and see what happens. And lo and behold, book publishing isn't dead. Audiobooks are thriving more than ever. And ebooks and print and audio still exist cohesively. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So obviously you have enjoyed working in this field for that long. I mean, what is your motivation or what drives you in this industry? Yeah, there's so much. Like, I will give you an answer. I don't even know which answer I'm going to give you today, but there's so much more to that. Um, what I always go back to is I've I've always been someone that leads with my heart and my passion. And that's primarily because I was raised by two therapist parents who always taught me to do that no matter what. Um, but my dad, before he became a therapist, was an actor in musical theater on Broadway. And my sister ultimately became an actor in film and TV. She's now an amazing photographer. If you need headshots, she's there. (laughs) She can do that for you guys. But I grew up in an artistic housing complex in the heart of Mm -hmm. Midtown Manhattan. And I was surrounded by actors, writers, painters, directors, dancers, anyone you can think of in the arts. Um, That's what the community is. It's Mm -hmm. a government subsidized housing complex called Manhattan Plaza. And so when I think about why this industry, especially because people who know me know I'm insatiably curious. I love adventures. It's this kind of, it seems like such a paradox, but I love the feeling of home and the feeling of community. And coming from the background that I came from, this felt like another form of home to me. And I eventually became a dancer, not professionally, but that was what my thing was. I was a stage manager. And primarily, I was a writer, and I still love writing. And so audiobooks combined all of these elements of me into this profession, which I feel like I've been able to self-actualize into. Because as many audiobook narrators feel with every single project, especially if they're so aligned with who you are, and I work across all genres, you just, you learn more about yourself, you learn more about the world. You work with incredibly talented people across all of the roles in this industry. And 
working at Penguin Random House specifically, it's a really good home in this industry. And every publishing house is different and every imprint within every publishing house is different. But that's also been a really particular home for me. So yeah, yeah, that's a lot of it. I yeah, say. I can see why you didn't choose contracts. I think you would have been miserable. Yeah. <laughs> miserable. I would have been in a different industry yeah. by this point. You'd be like, nope, <laughs> not lasting here. Not at all. <laughs> so I mentioned when I was kind of giving your whole spiel about Ahab Talent. Can you share with us what that is and what led you and Dan to even create it? Yeah. So there were so many reasons. Um, so Ahab, I, I have to figure out when we actually created Ahab because I was saying six years ago for like multiple years. So it probably right. was like eight years ago before anyone actually got on it. But Ahab has changed the industry in so many ways that I, I've only started to realize in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And so looking back at my production career, when we were looking to find talent, the, I'll tell you the ways I used to find talent. I would go on Audible and I would browse around in the genres that I was casting for. I created a Google Doc so I could like categorize actors by nonfiction, mm. British voice, kids voice, young adult. Um, I would ask fellow producers, which I still do today. And actors would send in their demos either virtually or primarily via CDs back in the day. The CDs went nowhere. They, they, it's so sad because it was such an effort for the acting community mm. to break in. And I think most of them ended up in the trash mm. because no one had the bandwidth to go through them. Right. And it, that's, that's such a loss. There obviously was this loss of communication mm. between the actors who wanted, who were incredibly talented and wanted to get in and the producers who were looking for, for very specific talents. Um, I then created a folder filing system for our team. Cause I was like, we need to do this better. And it was like, American, British, male, female, blah, blah, blah. And it was so not useful. (laughs) It was like, I barely used it, but it was, we had these big buckets that really stereotyped and pigeonholed actors into these big categories Mm. when, as I know from my family, and as you all know from being actors, actors can do a million different things. And the things you can do might not be immediately obvious, especially if you haven't been hired for that role. So that's a long story to say we needed to be able to find out more specific things about actors Mm -hmm. and their vocal skills and their cultural backgrounds and how they identify. And it was both an effort to cast better and and cast more efficiently because we were doing more audiobooks than ever before. When I started, we were doing 200 audiobooks. We're now doing 21 audiobooks and climbing. And... 21, so, uh, 21, audio- 21, sorry, 2100 oh. <laughs> audiobooks. Yeah, now, like, we're doing, now we're doing no audiobooks. Yeah. They're just really um, good. <laughs> we're just, so, so it was, and then during, so people started getting on Ahab before mm-hmm. the pandemic and our casting process, it was so much better. Oh. And there's, there's so much to go into there. Like we could audition more. Mm-hmm. We could, um, we and we didn't have the uploading files to downloading files to sending them somewhere. It was right. all, all streamlined, streamlined, streamlined. <laughs> um, and and then during the pandemic, what happened was there was this demand, overdue demand to diversify our mm-hmm. ta- talent pool, and that was happening across entertainment. Saying we need to pay attention to this because of what was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. 
and underrepresented voices were reclaiming their voices. And I really made it my mission with Dan to bring that into Ahab and bring that into our casting process and say, this is really important. We need to start casting people, not just based on what they sound like, but who they are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so all of that kind of combined into what Ahab is today. And then from that, all the community efforts we did over the pandemic, we did this thing called the Ahab Breakdown, which still exists on YouTube. It's probably a little dated in that we're probably talking about the pandemic, but there's so much information there. Yeah. We interviewed a million different people from across the industry and the voiceover industry. Um, and then we started doing clubhouses for free to invite people in. So then it expanded into this real community builder, which again, really important to me based on my background and why I'm here. And a way to continue to educate the acting community where previously there's been this wall between who casts and who wants to be cast and trying to share that information without, um, yeah, putting up guardrails, I guess. Right. Yeah. So Ahab, anyone can join the platform if they're an audiobook narrator. And they basically have to fill out kind of a profile and add their samples so that that way they can be found, right? So what are some of those mistakes that you see talent make when they're creating their profiles on Ahab? Yeah, I I think the number one thing, and I've been recently talking to producers in-house about this, is the samples. Samples are the number one thing that actors don't do well because most people fill out, you can fill out your accents, your language abilities. Um, you can give us information about yourself and general knowledge or your bio. and most people fill those out. They usually can be done better and more strategically. And um, what I've seen as a coach is that actors, and I know this, actors want to be creative. You guys want to be performing. You want to do what you do best. And some of these more business strategic skills usually are put as a less high priority. And and everyone knows it. Like yeah. every actor knows it. Every actor knows, oh, I should really update my right. website or right. my headshots for five yep. years. Everyone knows yep. it. And we'll, I know we'll talk about coaching later, but that's one of the things I love doing with actors mm. because I'm like, I can be your buddy and we can do this together yes. to make all of these materials better and make it fun yeah. and make it feel like, you know what? You are beholden to me now and you're, I'm going to see you next week and you better have done your work. It gives that accountability too, which is great. Yes. Yes. It's accountability. Mm -hmm. And also if you invest in coaching, you are putting money out there and you want to get back your investment. Totally. Um, So in terms of samples, the thing that I tell everybody and I'll continue to tell everybody and we'll, we'll see if people continue to, (laughs) to do it is you want to have really specific targeted samples. Mm. You want to be strategic in every area of your career, because actors are running their own businesses. You all are business owners. And so it's not just, oh, I recorded this audiobook. Let me grab a sample. You have yeah. to really think about why. Why am I showcasing this sample? Do I have to showcase this sample? Is there another sample I've already shared that is showcases similar vocal qualities or age ranges or skills or whatever it might be? It's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. But being really strategic about it and being, and if, 
early on, for everyone who's really early on, is really taking the time to polish performances mm. before putting it out in the world. You know, and and even if you do that solo and it's recording and it's taking a week and then listening and then re-recording or getting fellow actors' ears on it, there's ways to do this solo that doesn't mean you have to invest money in it. It all depends on your financial situation and what you want to do. Um, but really taking the time with samples is number one thing that people can do better. And they need to make sure that there's keywords there, right, for each sample so that you can find them. Is that? So it's a little different. So um, I actually think the names of samples aren't word searchable on Ahab, but everything else on your profile is. So general knowledge, bio, and that's why those sections are really important. And I tell people, don't just word dump. I know it sounds strategic to yeah. just like say, like art, ceramics, um, sci- I don't know, biology, anything that you might love and have expertise in, you might think, oh, I'll just throw a bunch of words in there. But that also gives off a certain impression. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very clearly, you're trying to be strategic, but you're actually not being the next level of thoughtful in sharing, like, what is it about art? Were you an art major? Were yeah. you... Did you, I don't know, did you take a biology class? Like why, why these things? Um, and, and part of all of this is, is it's not just forming this for Ahab. It's you're forming your brand through mm. all of this. And the repetition of the information you put out and the samples you put out on Ahab and other casting platforms on your website, in person, anywhere up here, that becomes your brand. Mm. So throwing in a bunch of words, you're missing an opportunity, even if you're catching those keywords. Yes, 100%. Can you give us kind of a behind the scenes of what happens? So you have a book that you're interested in casting a narrator for. So can you walk us kind of through that process? Yeah, no, it's great. So um, currently at Penguin Random House, I think we have 20 producers. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of producers on staff. And what we do, I, I love our process so much. Um, so we all at the beginning of every season, it, it actually used to be every season. Now we have so many books, it's every month. We sit down in a virtual room at a virtual round table and we pick off the books that we're interested mm-hmm. in recording, that we're interested in producing. So by that point, our editorial team has already chosen the books we're doing for that span. They give them to us and I think what I love about this process and why we're not we're not siloed into genres or anything mm. like that is one just like actors we have so many varied interests yeah. and humans contain multitudes and all of that um but also based on where you're at at that moment in your life you might choose to produce something that you wouldn't have a year ago or something that you produce now might not be relevant to you a year mm. from now because you're really interested in the certain subjects that you're choosing. Mm. Um, so we pick off our titles and then, then we go back into our own little cubbies, whatever that means to us these days. And we start reading and we read according to our, our due dates. And we start thinking about with each project, what does this book demand? Do we need one voice? Do we need multi-voice? Is this a full cast recording? Do we have budget for sound effects and music? Um, and we start formulating the vision for each of these projects. And um, 
with that, I always am really keeping in mind who the author is. That's something part of my mm-hmm. process. I'm, I'm both reading their book, but I'm also reading up about who they are. I'm reading, right. usually reading the acknowledgements too, because you learn so much about them mm-hmm. and their process and what's important to them through that. And then generally for me, though we have other resources as well, I go on to Ahab and I decide, do I want to host an audition for this? Do I just want to cast this off of samples? Do I want to host a public audition or open call, which is anyone in the platform can apply? Or do I want to target 10, 15, 30 actors that I think are right for it? And then distill my top candidates list from that. But the whole goal is to get down to five top candidates um, for me. Mm-hmm. And, and that number varies per producer. Sometimes it's three, but usually it's about it's five or less for me because I don't want to overwhelm the author. Mm. Their their bread and butter is not producing audiobooks, so I want to keep them very targeted. Um, we also work with agents. Uh, we have an awesome casting department, which now I oversee, Ashley Kublal and Lucas Behrens. They are, are members of our casting department. And so if producers ever need assistance or they're in a casting pickle or they have so much on their plate, they just need someone to help cast, they'll turn to Ashley and Lucas and with criteria in mind, say, go out into the world and give me what you got. Like, find these actors. And they'll scour social media. They'll Google. They'll go to agents. They'll go on Ahab. They'll, they basically are, they go out into the world and come back with these, um, these wonderful picks for us. Um, and then at that point, we send an author letter to the authors explaining what the vision is and And then we have any sort of negotiation or conversation in there if our vision doesn't quite match up with theirs. Normally, we're pretty aligned. Sometimes there's a little bit of tinkering in there. Um, I've gotten to a place, and everyone handles this differently. I used to always put forth my number one candidate. And Mm. if I feel really strongly, I still will. But in general, it's their book. And people Mm. are so much more familiar with audiobooks. I'll say, who resonates with you? Like who sounds like this character yeah. to you? And I think they really appreciate that. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, um, like, I don't know if you know about roundabout an estimate of percentages, but how often do you cast from samples versus sending out a specific audition? It's, it's an interesting question. And there's also just, there's another question behind that too, because I've, I've really come to cast off of auditions because I want to hear how you perform these characters. But after I cast, after, while I'm casting off of auditions, I'm going to your profile mm. to better understand you as a narrator. So there's actually, for me, there's a combo there. Sure. Um, I know there are other producers who cast off of samples because they don't want to go through the work of auditioning and they don't need to. Like, I don't actually need to audition for the books that I audition for. I could find comp samples. I also think it's a great way to see where actors are in the moment mm-hmm. and also see give opportunity to actors who have not recorded for us before or might not have good samples. Yeah. It's kind of this equalizing force. But then I will go look at their profiles and learn more about them as an mm-hmm. actor because also samples, even though I'm really targeted in the scenes that I choose for these auditions, there's so much more to these books right. than just that scene, even if that's the most important scene I could choose yeah. to showcase their skills. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. When you get these auditions, what are some of the nuances or things that you're listening for? 
I would say the primary thing I listen for is a balance of skills when it comes to the narrative voice and the voices in dialogue, if it's mm. fiction, because it's, it's a really interesting practice of listening to all of these auditions because some people will be really strong in their narrative voice and their character voices aren't great, mm. or they're really good at some of their character voices and then they voice a character of the opposite gender and it sounds wacky. <laughs> yeah. Um, and sometimes people's narrative voice, I think a lot of this when it comes to kids or young adult, and if we're doing a third person narration, with that third person narration, we could be looking for something that sounds like a younger narrative voice, or we could think of, we want something that's more a paternal narrative mm. voice and the kids' voices really pop. Um, and that's both my personal preference, but it's also the author's personal preference. Right. Um, but generally it's, it's finding someone who can execute on the primary characters, character voices and that narrative voice. Mm. And when it comes to nonfiction, I'd say nonfiction for me, I always find much easier to cast. Um, I'm always looking for a more conversational, natural, authentic delivery versus something that's more professorial or, or. Yes. Yeah. Or news anchor. That's what everyone always says. We don't want the news anchor voice. We want we want to hear what's real mm, for you. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that that has changed, too, over the years with audiobooks. Do you see trends in the audiobook genre? Um, and if so, are there certain current things that you're seeing? Yeah. Um, authentic casting is number one across the board. Um, that is just, there's so many nuances to that, but that is just number one in casting these days. Um, beneath that and, and kind of um, allied with that in a certain way is um, being really conscious of anything that might be triggering to the people working on this mm-hmm. book. And so calling out any trigger warnings to not only the actors, but the editors, the engineers, mm-hmm. the director. Because we're all humans who have gone through a myriad of different things and trying to be sensitive to that, even though we can't entirely know. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing, which is just totally different, is in terms of dialects and accents, there's a lot of interesting things going on right now. And some things I've told actors certain things that have broken their hearts, for instance, <gasps> as an American actor, yeah. you're rarely... I don't know if ever, but rarely at least, going to be hired to perform a book in a British yes. accent the entire book. Right. And us as Americans, we love Brit <laughs> and we like kind of want to be British. Yeah. And I had one client and I was like, I'm so sorry. I know you love yeah. Brits, but it's just not what you're going to be cast for these mm-hmm. days because we have amazing Brits right. with home studios all over the world sure. who could with authentic accents. <laughs> with authentic yeah. accents. Um, in dialogue for sure. Mm. Um, but, and then when it comes to accents, we're kind of in this phase of more of a flavor Mm. of what you're hearing. I'm, I'm casting a book right now. It's, um, it's like, uh, a queer young adult, like it's so much more than a rom-com. There's like, there's, there's so much more that's deeper there, but, um, the, the main characters are from Alabama. Mm. So I'm looking for, uh, a, a male queer identifying yeah. actor who can add some Southern 
Alabamian. Sure. Is that, that's how I pronounce <laughs> it. Flavored to it. Yeah. Um, but nothing. And I've listened to auditions for it that are like really big. And it's just like, no, yeah. I know the, the, the author is going to say, this sounds nothing like me or mm. anyone I know. And so that, that light touch yeah. is really what we're going for. Okay. Yeah. That's so helpful. Where I know you and I have already talked about this a little bit, but where do you see the audiobook industry going in the next five years? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wish I could be like, um, like see all the future. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the fun of this is it's, I've thought about this. I've never seen a psychic, but I've, I always think of like, if I could know the future, would I want to know yeah. the future? And as a kid, because I think there's so much unknown, I always wanted to know the future. I, I always wanted to know what was coming. And now as I've gotten older, it's like, that's part of the excitement is the not knowing. Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch of things that are already popping up that we already know that are present in this industry. Um, and some have, are more complicated than others. One of them being AI and how that affects our industry. And I think there's still a ton of fear surrounding AI, which is warranted um, in some ways and in other ways it isn't. And it's, I think with AI, I don't, I don't know anything, guys. If you're coming <laughs> to me for advice on AI, like I know as much as I know. I've gone to AI conferences. I've met with a ton of AI companies, not to not in the effort of, oh my gosh, let's eliminate yeah. actors. Obviously that's against everything that I do, but we have to understand this technology mm-hmm. because I think at some point it's going to become like us Googling things. We're not really going to even think that we're using AI. Right. It's going to be so part of our normal business yes. practice or normal day-to-day practice where we really have to be careful and, you know, feels like SAG is fighting for this, feels like actors is fighting for this, is how can this be used ethically? Um, How can actors be used ethically? And also, how can it not diminish their skills or what actors are being paid for their skills? Because I think the most heartbreaking part about this is AI can be used, I think, in so many ways to help business practices, to get rid of some of this grunt work that no assistant or intern wants to right. do, but I never thought, and I think most people didn't think that this would come to the, for the arts, what feels like first, right. it feels like it's coming for the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where we're a little sheltered for now is at least in the audiobook world is, is this is so much more easily replicated in short form content mm. in other areas of voiceover, which still freaking sucks <laughs> for actors, right? Um, but in audiobooks, we're long form content. Mm. I've listened to AI <laughs> audiobooks. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I can't. And I obviously have one of the most sensitive ears mm-hmm. in the world because like I'm an audiobook producer. But um it's the technology isn't there, which is not to say it won't get there, but we still have this sheltering right now. I did on that note, here's something really interesting from an actor the other day, which is not about audiobooks, but I just thought I'd share because I thought it was interesting that a lot of actors have been really afraid of this. And then there's these other actors who are actually using AI to replicate their voice and submit content to the content holder yeah. in other areas of voiceover. So actually in other areas of voiceover, there are certain content um, rights holders 
who are forcing actors to record things live with them so that they know it's actually not mm, AI recorded. Mm-hmm. So there's all this nuance sure. there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it is going to change things for sure. Um, okay. Let's talk about you as a coach because I you didn't have enough things going on. <laughs> and you're like, but I still have so much more to give to people. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how the articulate coach came to be. Yeah. Honestly, the articulate coach began because I was feeling really isolated working from home. And I was living alone. I was... Um, And even though I was in touch with my colleagues every day, so much of my work and what I've loved about my work is I'm at once very immersed in my team, but I have a pretty autonomous role because as Dan always says, like my role is the future forward role on our team. It's looking outward. It's meeting with other companies. It's talking to people in the industry, but it's, it's kind of all on my shoulders Mm. in that way. And so I was seeking more home, more community. And I like was putting up post-its of notes in my apartment saying like this said community on it or community driven. And because I knew that's what I was craving. And I started off as this little thing where I was like, all right, I'll take on a few clients and, and see how it goes. And what happened over the course of me working with these few clients is that I came to really love this work in a way that I had no idea I would. And I could say that I had a whole plan, but I had no plan. (laughs) I was just trying it out. And what I really loved about it is so much of my work these days, production work aside, is moving the industry forward and being this big picture person, an ideas person. And this, in a certain way, brought me back to the heart of the industry, which is why I came here, which was the actors and the creativity and What I also started to see was there was this huge gap that wasn't being served to the acting community. There are wonderful coaches already out there. I'm friends with most of them, (laughs) but they come from the creative side and they come from the acting side. And where I felt like I could fill the niche was both, it's like 50-50 performance business. Mm. And that, that makeup shifts based on the person. And that's what's great. I I have a general program of what I like to do that I think is effective, but I am game to switch that up however we need mm. because actors all need different things and they need to hear different things. Yeah. Um, and if you're a brand new actor versus an audio award season actor who's done a thousand recordings, you're also going to need different things. Mm. Um, so that was the that was the origin yeah, story. I love that so much. I mean, I think that that's so, so important to have that business. The balance of business, too, is just so vital. So, um, Julie, we will put a link to The Articulate Coach in the show notes. So if you're interested in learning more, just follow that. And, um, Julie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I just adore talking to you every time. And I learn new things, I feel like, every time that we talk. Um, And I'm just grateful that you gave up your time and just insight with us today. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And Heidi, I'm so happy we met. Yes. Um, yeah. So ever more to come. Yes, totally. Here here in the next five years, that's for sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>